This morning's reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. This is the English Standard Version. So 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Around my house this morning, there were a few, hey, will you cook eggs for us? No. April Fool's! <laughs> Little of those things going on, and uh, I thought to myself, you know, on Easter Sunday and April Fool's being the same day, there's going to be innumerable opportunities for preachers across the world to put their foot in their mouth. <laughs> Not that we don't anyway, but somehow the idea that tying in that it's only fools believe in Christ, the Bible account couldn't be farther from the truth. That couldn't be more distant from what Paul's recollection is. I remember, it uh, must have been two or three years ago now, I got up in the middle of the night and I looked out my back window, the second story looking in my backyard, this is 2, 3 a.m., and I saw snow cover, just my backyard, blanketed with snow. And I looked back, and I looked again, and my yard was blanketed with snow. But it was July. And I said, it can't be. It can't be blanketed. I know it can't be. But I rubbed my eyes. I opened the window. No lie. I looked out, and it, I mean, if you put me on a, a core, I would say that it looks like it's snow, it's snow out there. So much so that I went out, went downstairs, and I went outside, and I stood there because I said, "Is this?" I mean, I I know it's an optical illusion, but I had to examine it. It was so real to me that I had to examine it and said, "Okay." And I went up, and was just amazed at how the optics were kind of playing with my mind on that. Last year, in the Sahara Desert, something happened which is quite unusual. Here's a picture of what began to happen last year in Algeria in the Sahara. It began to snow. And as it began to snow more and more, the Twitter world or Twitterverse or 
Twitter something began to, and people were saying it's snowing in the Sahara, and everyone said, oh, that's crazy talk. It doesn't snow in the Sahara. It's impossible. It doesn't happen. And so if you'll you see the next picture, it snowed, not just measurable snow, but it began to cover the Sahara. And if you'll see in the sort of upper right, there's a person walking on because somebody began to take pictures and say, no, believe us, it's actually snowing there. And apparently, I, I wasn't privy to this, but apparently they were saying, oh, you can you know, Photoshop people into that. You're just messing with us. It's just a big hoax, right? So a bunch of people began to come out, and then they began to uh, have a group of people began to come up and, 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 and say, no, no, look at us. We are witnesses of what is happening here that was so unusual. People in their lifetimes hadn't seen it before. And there were many who said, no, this, this can't be so. I'm not there. I'm not examining. I don't, I don't believe that's what's happening is what appears to be happening. Now, the resurrection is the pivotal event. It's the pinnacle of what happens and what our faith is founded on. But it's, it's a tricky thing because it plays with our world that says truth is measured by rationality, by naturalism, by what we can see and perceive, by what is repeatable. And this event is none of those things in the sense of the Bible says it's beyond what we would naturally see and it's not repeatable. In terms of Jesus dying every day, this is an event that occurred. And so the first thing that, for those who, like me, are, are kind of skeptics, is rather than saying, well, people in those days when the Bible was written, they, you know, kind of superstitious, weren't as smart as we were, didn't know all that we do about science, you know, so, you know, of course, they, they would believe that, but, you know, we're, we're, we're moderns, right? I mean, we live in D.C., for goodness sake. We, we know how the world really works, and that kind of stuff doesn't happen, right? So, so is this true? And, and I'll tell you, people have to come to that part where you have to say to yourself, okay, do I believe this? Do I believe that a man died Completely dead, not almost dead, as they say in The Princess Bride. Not almost dead, but completely dead. Is it true? And then his heart starts beating again. A new body. Something else happens that's outside of our norm. Paul says in this epistle of 1 Corinthians that we read, he says, here's... Here's what it summates to in 15, verse 3. What's of first importance that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture? Died, dead, he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with our Scriptures. We can dismiss it. You can dismiss it as, well, it's a metaphor, right? A lot of, I think there's a lot of people who sort of like the Easter story. Because, you know, there's light after the darkness. There's, a, there's some sort of rainbow after the storm. And as we go through tough things in life, just like Jesus, you know, kind of, there's hope in, in dark times. And, um, you know, his teaching sort of, or his character lives on 
um, in, in our memories or something. And we kill the message of the gospel with metaphor. Paul doesn't leave us that option. He says, beginning in verse 5, he appeared to Cephas. That's another name for Peter. Then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. Paul's claiming eyewitnesses to this event, to a dead man walking around alive, are there, still alive, still, most of them still around. Then he appeared to James. One, that's, that's a recording we don't have in the Scripture. Then to all the apostles throughout the book of Acts. It's like Jesus keeps coming in to various places. You, you see a number of times in the Gospels and in Acts where they're just standing around, and then Jesus is among them, and they're just getting freaked out, like, you're here again! They, became, they become changed community because of the reality of a dead man coming back to life. In John's letter, one of the disciples in 1 John, he begins it like this, that which, we, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, we have seen with our eyes, we've looked upon, we've touched with our hands, considering the word of life, Jesus. See what he's saying? Guys, he can't make it any clearer. We saw this thing. We experienced it. Peter, as he writes in the final book of 2 Peter, as he's preparing to die, he says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, we didn't follow cleverly devised myths because that's for many people what the resurrection is. It's for sort of foolish people to believe, I mean, Let's not get too literal here, right? Literally raised from the dead? Come on. Peter says, look, we don't follow these devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Talks about we were eyewitnesses. He talks about his majesty, his, his appearance on the Mount of Transfiguration. So one way... We dismiss it as just by making Easter sort of a toothless story, but Paul doesn't give us that option. I heard Tim Keller say something I thought, I, I've never really thought about before, which is why was the stone rolled away from the tomb? You know, we have this huge stone that was placed in front. That would have been typical of tombs in that day, these cave tombs. Why was the stone rolled away? Do you think it was to let Jesus out because he, he had to get out? totally wrong, right? I hadn't thought about that. sort of what I thought. I hadn't really given a lot of thought, but I thought, of course, you know, how's he going to get out? I mean, it's sort of closed in. All throughout the scripture, it says he's, he walks into locked rooms. He appears many times without, his, his resurrected body doesn't need that. So why is the tomb open? If he didn't need it to get out, because we need it to get in. Somebody has, we can't, we have to examine the evidence, he said, let's pull it back and see what the evidence is. Because on that first morning, Mary, and then Peter, John, they have to go in and examine the evidence. So 
for those of you who really, when you get, when push comes to shove, if you really had to, under oath, say, do I believe this? Not just as a creed of my faith because I'm a Christian, but do I believe that Jesus Christ, a man, was died and was raised again? Examine the evidence. Is that this event marks our faith and that you can see in the changed lives, I don't have time to go into all what the biblical evidence is in this, but it is the part of our faith that takes some examination and the belief that flows out of that must change our lives. Because the first question is, do you believe it's possible? Do you believe it's true? And then if the answer is yes, what does that mean for us? Now, first little picture of what happened last year in the Sahara. There was people who eventually came to believe, but many people just thought, no, like the moon landing. It never really happened, right? It was just a hoax. And eventually what happened was, Some of the kids said, I don't care if people believe it or not. There was this fuzzy picture taken of kids that lived in the town there in the Sahara. And they said, whether people outside of this believe it or not, we're going to go sledding in the Sahara. We'll never get another chance like this in our lifetime. Y'all, there's a world around us and there's many people. Nothing will convince them that the resurrection occurred. They'll feel sorry for me or for you. They'll pity us a little bit. Our best answer is to go sledding. Our best answer is to experience and live the life. Because the evidence that Paul gives for the life being lived is we are not only eyewitnesses, but we're living in the power of the Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. Paul says this, Romans chapter 8, verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now you may say, well, I've got life. I I don't really believe this ultimately to be true. I've got life. The Bible says you don't. You have bios life. You breathe. You live. But the this word zoe, this life, this, this spiritual life that God gives is given to those who have the spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwelling inside of them. And that that's a life that can free you. Can free you from the anxieties and the fears and the pain and the depression that this world wants to mount on you. Is that It's the sledding. It's sledding down the hill. It's experiencing and walking in the life that God gave us. It's not automatic. Ravi Zacharias says, if Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead, nothing else really matters. Because ultimately we're just going to live our lives and be gone, and that's it. And that used to terrify me when I was a young man. 
I was terrified by the thought of eternity and being nothing forever and ever and ever, and I couldn't even think about it. I would break out in a cold sweat. If Jesus Christ wasn't raised from the dead, nothing else really matters. But if Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, nothing else matters. Right? Either way, because if he really was raised from the dead, what is impossible? And the things that you face, difficulties and the questions that you have about life and why you're alive and what's the meaning and what's the purpose, you don't know what your identity is. You struggle with what difference it makes, it all makes. And if Jesus Christ was really raised from the dead, then you were created for a purpose, an eternal purpose to glorify him, to reflect him, to experience life beyond what you could ever know without that eternal perspective. And I know it's completely outside of anything that what you're going to read or see in our world and in our culture is they're what going to tell you? They're just going to say you're just another religious zealot. And I tell you that that's as far from the truth as is possible. Jesus was God. Your Creator loves you enough to send His only Son to die for you. And powerful enough to be raised to life again for you. Final verse, if you, Acts chapter 17. Paul, whose life was transformed by the risen Christ, completely and utterly shaken and changed, and now his life's mission, because nothing else matters, Ultimately, since Jesus was raised from the dead, he goes and he shares with the Gentiles, with people all over the known world, this message. And he's addressing the very spiritual, religiously curious of Athens, Acts 17. And he's noting all their talk about seeking the answer, they probably in some ways would have considered themselves agnostic in the sense of, well, we can't know that there's any one God, but there, we love to talk about God. We love to ponder. I think our day, agnosticism is somehow glorified as, well, you're open, you're a seeker, that's good, but let's not be too sure. Let's not come to any conclusions because then that would be intolerant. That would be too much... Um, uh, one way, how do you know you're right and everyone else is wrong? And Paul says, look, I've seen him. I've seen him. You can tell me all your arguments you want. I've experienced him. And so he says this to these people who are seeking but never coming to any knowledge of the truth, beginning in verse 26. God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling, 
that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. And that's where we find ourselves as a culture, people wondering why they're alive, what purpose is there. And Paul says, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think the divine being is like gold or silver or stone. We don't make God in our image. We are made in his. An image formed by an art and imagination of man. Listen to this in verse 30. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by what? By raising him from the dead. Paul said, look, the the time of figuring out, well, I'll just keep talking about it. You can keep talking about it to your last breath. The offer's on the table. The gospel's on the table. Jesus Christ died for your sins. He rose again for you. He's able to fill you. Do you believe it? Do you believe it's possible? If you don't examine the evidence, examine what we have, don't dismiss it. And if you say, well, I find it hard to believe. I know it's going to challenge my framework. But I know that I wasn't created for this life. I know there's something more. Then I ask you to take the leap of faith because make no doubt there is a leap of faith. It's not foolishness. But it's believing in something that you cannot see or touch as we've all been taught to do everything the end of truth is what I can see, touch, or feel. I tell you, it is true what you can see, touch, or feel, but it's not the end of truth. It's a doorway to truth. It's an open tomb that allows you with your eyes and with your ears and with your hands to go in and to see that it wasn't grave robbers. They wouldn't have left the cloths. That it was folded neatly up to remind the cloths were folded neatly in there to remind them that he didn't need them anymore that his resurrected body was gone. And so I invite you this morning, it's as simple as saying, Lord, I do believe. And if I, and if I believe, Lord, nothing else really matters, that you are God, alive and willing and able to do anything in my life that needs to be done. And those things that seem too difficult, now you have a living God with you. Not a memory, not a teaching, not a doctrine. You have the living presence of God. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I, I give you thanks that you are risen. That, Lord, while I haven't seen you the way that those early disciples did that I've experienced you in the most profound of ways. 
And Lord, because you were raised bodily, and because you did this for us, life looks completely different. Father, I ask you, by your Holy Spirit, to come now and knock on each door of every heart and find the ones that are open. Lord, would you change our lives? I want to give you a minute or two. Just talk to the Lord. Do some business. If you find yourself in the first category of one who just, you just can't believe this is so, I want to invite you to take the step of committing yourself to examining the evidence and to pursuing it if you have not. If you're one who wants to believe but have never yet really believed in this truth that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, but you're ready to take that step, then I'm going to invite you to confess your faith in Christ and that he is alive and commit yourself as Paul said, to repenting, which just means to turn to him and to trust him more than yourself. If you've already done that, but you've forgotten that the one who raised Christ from the dead now dwells in you, that he can give abundant life to your mortal body, that you've believed that sickness and sin and anger and fear and confusion and depression rule and have more than the Spirit of Christ, that you would turn from that and receive the Holy Spirit, receive that one who dwells in you, that you would acknowledge that that Spirit dwells in you and He will give new life to your body. I ask you to take a minute and contemplate where you are. Speak to God about those things.